0: Welcome back to the pod. I'm Aida. And I'm Anisha. Welcome to the last episode of Season 5. We're so excited to wrap up this season with this week's guest, Jonathan Capehart, one of Geopolitics' Spring 2019 fellows. Jonathan is an opinion writer for The Washington Post and an MSNBC contributor. He also runs a weekly podcast, Cape Up, with Jonathan Capehart, a Washington Post opinions podcast, which you can find on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and more.
1: Make sure to follow us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify.
0: So right now we're joined by Jonathan Capehart. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Today, uh, thank Jonathan. you. This is fun. Yeah, excited to have you. Um, so let's just jump right in. Uh, you're currently an opinion writer for The Washington Post, where you focus on the intersection of social and cultural issues in politics. Very cool. And you're also a contributor on MSNBC. So let's talk a little bit about how you um, got there. How did your interest in journalism begin? Was it sparked by something?
2: Um, well... Okay, so I was that kid who always knew what they wanted to do since they were little. I should say I'm that guy. Um, Since I was 10, I knew I wanted to be a journalist. And um, it happened when I started watching the Today Show. And we started watching the Today Show because my uncle was on his way to work at 30 Rock and said, Hey turn on NBC and I'm going to try to get in front of the camera and wave. And so we're watching this show and I forgot to point out that at that age, I was a big tattletale. So (laughs) I love telling other people's business. So in watching, (laughs) waiting for my uncle to appear, however he was going to appear sort of watching this show where you had these people telling other people's business, this happened over here, this happened over there. And I thought, this is, this is cool. And so my 10-year-old watching of The Today Show became this obsession where I w- wanted to know about the news and had my favorite reporters and anchors and stuff. And so that led to, to give you the, the Cliff's Notes version or <laughs> the Bill Barr version of my <laughs> career, um, it led to an internship at The Today Show, which then led to... Um, my working on the Today Show a year after graduating college, uh, which then led me into newspapers and to where I am now. So this kid who wanted to be on television somehow became a newspaper man who goes on television.
1: So just a side note, we're just going to edit this out, but could you talk a little bit louder? I feel like the mic isn't picking it up that well. Oh. If you okay, like...
2: um, Is this better?
1: Yeah, that's a little... I don't know. My mic's like just picking...
2: Two, two,
0: yeah, would it be
1: better with that, like,
2: Without that filter? How about this?
1: Yeah, that was better. Okay, okay, okay. we'll that, do that. We'll okay, do
2: that. We'll okay, do okay. That. wait, I've got to tell it all again? No, no, no. no, no. no, no. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Don't, don't worry. worry. Oh my God. Please <laughs> don't make me tell that story. <laughs> Plot twist. Right. Dun, dun, dun. We only played this part. Okay. <laughs>
1: So um, mentioning the news media, what propelled your switch from working in TV to newspaper and what are some key differences you see in the two forms of media?
2: So the whole reason why I went into newspapers is because um, I learned during my internships at the Today Show and um, the year that I worked at NBC as a researcher on the Today Show is that people in television like people from newspapers or people from print because they know how to think and they know how to write. And so I thought, oh, well, if I so I got a call from the opinions editor of the New York Daily News who called to say that the new publisher was looking for young people who could write for the editorial page. And so that's was my that was my calculus. I'll go to the Daily News, work a couple of years mm-hmm. and then come back to 30 Rock. To the Today Show to a higher position, maybe associate producer <laughs> on my steady, you know, role to be anchor of the Today Show. That was the whole plan. Um, but and I figured I'd do it for two years. But what ended up happening was I stayed. I never went back to the to the Today Show. I've never been able to say do the Today Show flawlessly uh, on the first go round. <laughs>
0: What a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how has the way you've approached uh, your style of journalism changed throughout the years? Do you see it change, like, with each president, with the change in the political climate? Let's talk about that.
2: Well, I'm going to answer your question by going back to this the, the second half of the question, Anusha, that you asked me, and that is the difference between the two mediums. So, television is very visual, um, and it is... I mean, the amount of time you have to tell a story is very short. Um, In print, you have a little, you have room to tell a story or to write a column. Um, But in some instances, like at the Daily News, I would have to explain complex situations in a very short amount of space, compared to say, editorial writers at the New York Times or, as I discovered, at the Washington Post. Um, have a lot more room to explain things and to write. And so but television and, and print sort of exercise two different muscles um, that, that I really that I really like. And that is and, and they they it's a the word I'm looking for. they, they complement each other when when done well. I like to think I do them well. Um, but in terms of, you know, My jobs over the last few, literally the last 12 years, have sort of followed the changes in media in those 12 years. So I came to the Washington Post as an editorial writer, and I'm writing editorials. Uh, I had been writing a column at the Daily News and had written a few columns um, on the op-ed page of the Post. But when it came time for the 2008 conventions, my editor said, hey, we want you to write for the blog. And I thought, the blog? (laughs) I'm a newspaper man. Why am I writing for a blog? But I thought, if that's how I'm going to get to the conventions, fine. But what I discovered, or what I should say is what I rediscovered, was my ability to write under my own name, under my own style, but under the banner of the Washington Post. So I start Writing full time for this blog a couple of years after that, and it was fun being able to wake up in the morning and say, "Hey, what do I want to write about today?" and have all the time in the world to write it and however how many words I want to write them, how many times I could crank out a piece in a day, but then. Um, through a series of things I realized, you know what, what I really like doing is just sitting and talking to people in a live environment and getting them to say things they wouldn't otherwise say in a formal interview. And that is how I ended up in podcasting. And so now this is the third, I'm still on the editorial board of the Washington (laughs) Post, but I'm now my third iteration of what it means to be an opinion writer at the Washington Post by doing things uh, via podcast.
1: So just moving on to another topic um, in the current day, being an opinion writer in this political climate. There's some pretty key differences between being a news reporter and an opinion writer. What appeals to you about opinion writing that is different from news writing and do you ever see yourself switching to news writing in the future?
2: I'll take your last question first, <laughs> no, because I have tried it. <clears throat> very briefly I have tried it and this gets to why I didn't like it It gets to the the first part of the (laughs) question Bob Costa Robert Costa news side reporter Washington Post and I could go to the same event talk to the same people do the reporting and everything and write he could write a news story and I could write an opinion piece where are our writings diverge is Bob will only tell you here's what happened, here's what they said, Um, here's what it means in terms of whatever the conversation is and that's it who what where when why how my job is to tell you who what where when why how but then I can tell you what I think about all of those things who's right who's wrong who's got it um, What should pass, what shouldn't pass, those sorts of things. I get to say what I think. When I had worked on uh, Mike Bloomberg's first campaign for mayor, and when the campaign was over, I wanted to go back to journalism because I missed out on the biggest story of journalism at the time, and that was 9-11. And so I went back to the editor of Bloomberg News and said, I would like to come back and pick up my column, and he says, great, we'll love to have you back, but, oh, and he said, fine, that's great, so then I tell Mike, Mike, I'm not coming to City Hall, I'm going back to Bloomberg News, then I call up the the, edit- the um, editor-in-chief of Bloomberg News and said, okay, I'll talk to Mike, and everything's fine, he goes, okay, great, so here I changed my mind, oh, not oh. going to be an opinion columnist, I wanted to be straight news, and I said, I, I don't <laughs> even know how to do that. And he said, well, all you need to do is take out the coulds, woulds, and shoulds, and you'll be fine. And I thought, uh, I don't know if it's that easy, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. It was about eight or nine months of agony. It was terrible. Because my mind, at, at that point, I'd been a print journalist altogether um, nine, ten years. And my mind was geared towards writing opinion pieces not thinking of news stories but thinking of what's going on and so I my job was to be correspondent for global poverty spin the globe poke your finger and wherever the finger hit you you figure out the poverty angle of that place and then you report it out and you do stories and I thought great I spun the globe hit Kenya and thought Well, there is this global phenomenon of street children. In Kenya, it's really bad. And so, but when it came time to think of stories, news stories, I was having a really hard time beyond the obvious. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask them to let me do this as a a columnist. And once I started thinking that way, I had 15. 15 column ideas. (laughs) I was told no. Oh. So, I did go to Nairobi. I went to Kenya went to nairobi i was there for a week i did all this reporting i came back it was it was a disa- it was just a disaster it was a complete disaster um and then i left and went back to the daily news as deputy editorial page editor where i knew what the hell i was doing <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so cool um So like, just going a little bit more into the world of journalism that you've been in, um, we now live in an era where the term fake news is thrown around a lot. How has the rise of this term impacted the way you work in this field?
2: Um, The term fake news doesn't impact me at all because we all know that when the president says that something is fake news, what that really means is this particular story that I read about me is negative. And so the story could be, you know, an indictment filed by special counsel Mueller. And just given what the indictment says and the stories about it, I mean, yeah, it's a negative story. That doesn't mean it's fake. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem is we have a president who views these stories that are, that he takes it personally personally. You 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 hate me so much that you would write these quote unquote fake stories. He has not separated himself from from the presidency, or what I should say is, he is not putting the country and the presidency first before himself. And when you think that you are the state and the state is you, that well, I mean, we all know that that is a problem. The bigger problem with him and the mantra of fake news is that it's an attack on the press that is destabilizing at home. But outside of the United States, leaders who hear that, particularly authoritarian types, they hear that and they say, oh, well, if the president of the United States can talk smack about the press, can treat them badly, can call them enemies of the people, well, then I can do the same thing without fear of retribution from the United States, which has had always been the case, where the President of the United States was always, despite fights with the press, was always a champion of the free press. Might not be as vocal about it at home, but once he went overseas, he was a total champion of the press up until President Trump and now that's completely gone. And that to me is the biggest danger of this mantra of fake news, is that it undermines one of the pillars of not just American democracy, but democracy, period.
1: So moving on to a little bit of what you do right now that you mentioned previously, your podcast. So you now have a podcast called Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart. Why did you decide to start a podcast?
2: Well, you know, I was just looking for something to do. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, i just... a little bored. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in certain instances, like, you've got to, I realized that, yeah, I could, like, write the umpteenth story about the Trump campaign, or, you know, come on, Democrats, what the hell's wrong with you? Or I could do something else, and really the podcast idea came... Really, from an interview that I did with then Attorney General Eric Holder at the Atlantic Ideas Forum here in Washington. And they asked me, the organizer said, okay, we've got Attorney General Eric Holder coming. You've got 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And, you know, we know you know him, but, you know, we really want this to be a hard hitting, news making interview. And they said, you've got to come up with a lot of questions. Ten, ten questions would be great. I said, okay, fine. I'll come. Fine. I came with 20. But I thought, I don't want this to be a stodgy Washington interview. I want this to be lively, interesting, and, and fun in the end. So I asked my hard-hitting questions. But just before, and I had hard-hitting questions for 75% of it. And then the last question was a serious question, but to mix things up, I had a series of I had five sort of fun questions. Who would you want to play you in the movie? What's the most played thing on your iPod? Um, which gets Washington right? House of Cards, Veep, or um, House of Cards, Veep, or Scandal and then there uh, and then there was one other there were two others and those questions made the news cuz he said he wanted Denzel Washington to play him in the movie and that was the thing people picked up on he also made news in terms of you know prosecuting journalists for printing information that were provided to them by, by him by leaks that also made the news but it was an interesting lively Interview and so people were saying, "Oh my god, that was so good!" And I thought, well, "God, that would be really fun to do on a regular basis." And so, out comes this idea, and we tried to stick it to twenty minutes, but then it went from twenty to twenty five, thirty to <laughs> thirty five, forty, and now if you look at my archives, some <laughs> of the more recent interviews they go like an hour. Oh, wow. But they're an hour because what I really try to do is get interesting people in front of a microphone and just ask them questions and give them the opportunity to talk, but also listen to what they're saying and ask some more questions. And by the end of it, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour, I want by the end of the podcast for people to feel like not only did they learn something about the topic... But they really got to know the person who was being interviewed. That's the fun, is drawing someone out um, to reveal more of themselves than the listener probably uh, didn't know before.
0: It sounds like you have a really, really cool dynamic podcast. So, of course, we have to ask you, what's the fav- favorite episode that you've ever done oh my so God. far? It's been, I mean, it's been
2: two and a half years of once a week for two and a half years. So that's wow. a lot that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's lot, a lot of, of people. <laughs> um, probably the most fun. and I can't believe ever, someone else asked me this question and I couldn't think of couldn't think of it at the time but um, Mark Hamill Luke Skywalker who was I just discovered was tweeting he was liking my tweets and retweeting me and I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then someone sent him a tweet saying, Hey, Aunt Mark Hamill, you should go on KPART's podcast. And then I wrote back, Hey, that would be um, you know, we can come to you. No hologram necessary. <laughs> and in these situations, my podcast producer Carol is always saying, when you're in conversations on Twitter with, with big people like that, you should slide into their DMs and invite them on. <laughs> and so that was ringing in my ears. And so I go to my DMs. Mark Hamill had already DM'd me saying, hey, I'd really like to do your podcast, but I can't oh do anything until I'm off this Star Wars tour.
0: Could,
2: could we do it in April? I was like, mm, April works. <laughs> That's a year, almost a year ago. To the day, I should look at my calendar while I'm talking. Um, and so we flew out to California to interview Mark Hamill. And yeah. it was one of those things where I had a bunch of questions from diehard Star Wars fans, <laughs> friends of mine, and people at the paper who were big Star Wars fans. But in the end, it became clear, there's no controlling this interview. <laughs> there's no controlling it because he told stories and he did impressions. And I knew... Like, I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm not a Star Wars fan. But I knew <laughs> that in what he was saying, there was so much gold in it that I couldn't see. But like a gold prospector would be able to see the gold. I knew Star Wars fans would be able to see the gold. And we saw the reaction to it after it came out. And I bring all this up because that was... I mentioned how my interviews go, well, oh, then now creep up to an hour. That yeah. one was... Exactly one hundred minutes. <laughs> and I had to I had to cut it off because it was I mean he's so fun and mm-hmm. engaging and I was just like I can't keep up. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mark Hamill. <laughs> the is done. Um, That's but that funny. was probably the most fun. That
1: sounds
2: And amazing. we did it in his house. Oh wow. We went you to went to Mark Hamill's house? house? We went to his house in Malibu and that was April 14th. Almost exactly wow. It was 355 days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yes.
1: So we like to have a little lightning round of questions in podcast episodes. Okay. Um, so number one, most interesting memory working in journalism? That you haven't already told us. Because you told us <laughs> in pretty <previous> interesting <laughs>
2: <sequence. laughs> Um, There was the time that I was going to the White House for... Um, one of those off-the-record meetings with President Obama. And I had a White House hard pass, which allowed me to get through. Mm. But what I didn't know was that my hard pass had expired. Uh, And so I got to the gates 10 minutes, 15 minutes, before the meeting was supposed to start. Well, actually, no, it was 20 minutes. Because even, it's like, you know what? It's good to get there. It was a hot summer day. I wanted to cool off before the whole thing started. So I got there 20 minutes early. And my hard pass was was dead, so then they had to wave me in so I had to give give all of my information. Then I had to wait in the boiling sun. I'm looking at the clock, I was like, well, the president's usually late, so (laughs) I finally get through, I race in, and that was you had to put your phones in the little cubbies. And so I walk in and I and the president's there. He's already talking. And it's all these other reporters. And so I just dive into the nearest empty seat, dive into it. And his communicate his press secretary at the time, Jay Carney. I see him, and he points to me. He goes. He points to this empty seat that is right next to the president, and I'm like,
0: Oh my god! Shut up. <laughs>
2: Not only am I late, but I am on fire because I've been standing <laughs> in the sun now guys who are listening, actually this pertains to everybody, <laughs> always have a handkerchief. Always have a handkerchief. So I'm sitting next to the President of the United States, to his right, raining sweat, oh. raining sweat. So I, I, I now have my handkerchief out of my pocket, and I am mopping and wiping <laughs> and everything, everything, trying to cool down. I finally cooled down. Everything's fine. You know, thank you, Mr. President. It's all over. Years later, I'm talking with Valerie Jarrett, who was his senior advisor. And we were just sort of, I think it was at the end of the administration, we were sort of reminiscing with things. And I said, oh, remember that time I got to the meeting late? And it was August. It was (laughs) so hot. And she said, oh, yeah, I remember you. I remember you coming in late sitting next to the president and then she said and just mopping yourself she pantomimes me doing this like with my handkerchief and we just laughed and that's it that's my one of one of my many stories but that's (laughs) that's the one that um it's fun because it involves the president but it's Mm -hmm. It's one that makes me look really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you've kind of inspired us with the next question. Uh-huh. Um, who would play you in the movie? Oh, good Lord.
2: <laughs> At first, people told me Jeffrey Wright would play me. But now, as a result of The Force Awakens and um, the other one, The Last Jedi. No, not The Last Jedi. It is The Last Jedi. Well, the last two <laughs> Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, uh, Finn. Mm-hmm. That's who I think would play yeah. me.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's think. pretty cool. So
2: Jeffrey Wright could play the old me. He, Finn, could play the mm. the youngish, mm. younger me.
1: Fascinating. So unfortunately, the fellows discussion groups are coming to an end for the semester, but you still have one more. Do you want to plug that really quick?
2: Yes, Wednesday, 4 to 530 Actually, quite honestly, I'm not quite sure what we're talking about um, <laughs> in that final discussion group. I might turn it. I might turn it into like just a therapy session because that's the way my com- that's why my com- my conversation groups, discussion groups. That's where they would sort of end up. We would start talking about journalism, and then they would always slide into conversations about politics writ large, and. And then they would slide into just sort of talking about things and life and what whatever, which is, that's the whole point of a discussion group. Let's see where the discussion goes. That's what makes it so much fun.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been so fun talking to well, you. Thank hearing you, Maya. It was fun, <laughs> should Thank you. What a great way to wrap up season five! Thanks to all of our listeners. Get excited for season six in the fall.
1: Make sure to stay connected with Fly on the Wall throughout the summer by liking and following us on social media at Fly on the Wall Pod and subscribing to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. See you in season six.